Hello, everybody, and thank you again, Janet Lee, for that super, super rendition on that glorious Baldwin organ of yours. And hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today, Analog with Angels 15. This is Sunday, October 13, 2013. Today, the imbuement of healing to be infused in every word of this teaching is for the healing of bipolar disease. Those of you that are fighting this disease or have relatives or friends or family, this message today is imbued with the healing of God's cleansing power and healing power for people suffering from the bipolar disease. All right. Here is the thought for today. Displace your old goals, which were based on limited insights, with new goals based on expanded insights. And that is what you have to do, you know. You have to update yourself. If you don't update yourself, well then, you know, your goals will not be in perspective with the new things that God is doing for you. Now, um, in Acts 2.19, an old favorite verse that has been preached and quoted many times, Acts 2.19, And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapors of smoke, or vapor of smoke. And that is really an awesome verse, especially when you put it in connections with Genesis 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. The revelation of star time and the signs to verify the distinctions between what is day and what is night. And how that the Bible teaches from different scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament. But in the New Testament in Revelation, it mentions several times about the angels preaching the everlasting gospel in the skies. So when people wonder about who it is out there, who it is up there that is producing these signs and wonders, these maneuverable vehicles that make it almost impossible to get any information from except it be revealed by God because they are so advanced and so not of this world that their language, even in their acrobats of their aeronautics, cannot be interpreted by the common human person or even the scientist or engineer. And so... There are many questions that rise and continue to rise. 
And there are many things that, that happen for which there are questions. Today I want to read from the Seven Thunders Before Genesis book. And if there's any of you people out there that are interested in these teachings, and you at this time have not ever gotten a copy of the Seven Thunders Speak, Manifest Chronicles Before Genesis, then it's very sad for you. Because this book is full of so much incredible descriptive things and word of God. I want to read from page 34 at the bottom, toward the bottom uh, paragraph. In the sunrise of my mind, I heard the alabastrum of the songbuds of the soundtron singing creations. So it is, songbuds within the soundtron yearn to be spoken to flourishings. Invisible stringlets wound of song rhymes hold the glory of glories. In every electron, in every positron, in every neutron, in every subatomic particle and wave, the tron of the soundtron lives. Ask with a deep heart, and God the I Am will show you how to use energies of the universe as your own mixing bowl for creation. Let the will of God's voice be strummed to set free the reaching line. Let it sound trumpet across time with harp playing hands, strum and curves. I want to introduce to you that word in a more um, deeper sense today. Curves, C-U-R-V-E-S, will be loosened to fly with quickenings to the vexed heart and to heal and make the wounded whole. Everywhere the eyes which are deeply opened see, everywhere the ears which are deeply opened hear, phototransitions of the soundtron energy flying as shows of dancing balls, orbs, pictures at guided angles. Wise, one, wise ones know the message. Wise ones kiss the stylus, from which rise coated purfilings in rounded and angulated forms. And what is the soundtron? The sound is the voice, the tron is the measure. Whose voice? The sweet song and the thunderous power of God the I Am. What measure? The metron, the line of traversal that goes forth throughout all of the universe that measures and gives the dimensions. The soundtron, being both singular and plural, holds the golden wells of I am. I am's perfect well, am's permissive well, written into all physical existence. The alabastrum potential of the soundtron is as buds of the flowering wisdom and knowledge from whence may come the happenings of all potentials. Within the large and the largest of all, and within the small and the smallest of all, vials of holy nectar are invisibly hidden, as in the transparency of crystal latticing. As a minute harp braids and windings of enlightenment as punctum dots of glorious God-word data, the soundtron waits to be tapped for latolution. Page 37, in the middle. O spangled spark of twin energy bosom dots, be spangleless. Your vibrant dazzle of fiery essence draws me to your breasts. 
May I, in universal drink of mine, taste from your Urim thumb and breastplates the mellow thoughts of those rapturous, superb pastimes. Our lives are fragile and fragmentary. Open your bon bontius glories. Unfurl the dark energies of the universe. Let quantum link speak. Let us drink of the milk of knowledge of all ages past that wisdom generously offers. Let us see those faulty steps others have taken so that we may never walk there. Let us also see the glories those persons of other universes have reached in their endeavors to overcome so that we may be enhanced by God, the I Am, worlds without end. Isaiah 45.17, Hebrews 11.3. Wow. So, let us read now a scripture interesting and important in Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. And we're going to, some of you be surprised where this will take us today. Uh, but uh, that's all part of, uh, of God moving by his spirit. Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, I think most people have a good inclination of how over the ages of pulpiteering that that message has been advanced and interpreted. But I would like to give you a hundredfold interpretation of that scripture today as it applies uh, universally. Because Jesus did say in Matthew and Luke and the Gospels, go you into all the world, the world being, being uh, a word taken from uh, the Greek meaning cosmos, which then would translate the verse to say, go you into all of the universe and preach the gospel. So when we start looking at that and we think in terms of, you know, um, the power of motion, the power of movement, and how that those things are exactly going to be, when we say you're not in the flesh if you are in the spirit, uh, that is a bigger statement than I think people can allude to without an interpretation by the Holy Spirit. Because while it has its practicality and while it has its spirituality, so that it is referring to how that we can overcome the mortal, yet there is something at the potential of all things are possible reality, when it says not in the flesh, you are not in the flesh. You're not in the physical, but you're in the spirit. Now, if we apply that to how that spaceships of the angels travel in space, 
we get an incredibly interesting projection. If we think in terms of the spirit as, as being represented in a legendary manner by symbology, by, by uh, symbology or metaphorical, uh, metaphorical expressions, then we can think in terms of translating the spirit in some senses to represent anti-matter, anti-gravity. And if you're into then anti-gravity, then you are not being affected by gravity. If you are into anti-matter, then you are not being affected by matter. So if you're in the spirit, you're not being affected by flesh. Now, there is a thing in the Holy Manifest teachings that gives us a word called quirves, the quirves of space, the, the quaves of space. And both of those words are, in a certain sense, relational to the Bible, to the Bible's word, quickenings, Q-U-I-C-K-E-N-I-N-G-S, quickenings. Now, generally, when people think of quickenings, they're just thinking of maybe someone that was dead being quickened to live again. But the word quickening in the Bible is used much more extensive than that. In 1 Timothy 6.3, it says, God quickeneth all, A-L-L, things. God quickeneth all things, T-H-I-N-G-S. Now, I suppose if you want to, you could apply a human being to being a thing. But generally, that's not very um, honorable or respectful term to apply to a human. Things can mean, you know, inordinate or it can mean um, matter. It can even mean antimatter. Anything that is in the universe as an energy or as a happening. God can quicken all things. So when we think then about how that this word quickening that applies quite often and frequently just to humans, and yet that it is a word that is also versatile enough to apply to everything that there is, just like the soundtron is not only in us humans, it's in all the universe and everything, in every atom and every molecule. It's in everything which is up, it's in everything which is down. So, when we say you are not in the flesh, but you know, if you're in the spirit, we could think of that as a happening. We could think of that, you know, in a translational sense, in which the spirit, as the Bible tells us, or any word that is a heavenly word or a spiritual word in creation has a physical term 
that it's the pattern of the spiritual meaning. And that these patterns are more than just virtual reality. They have a literal attachment as being something that can really exist. They are also called uh, the rushings. Now, let me read Ezekiel 3, and let's use that, see what the word rushings reads there. It's really quite interesting. In Ezekiel 3, verse 12, Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me the voice or voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. Now the voice of a great rushing, this rushing experience had a realism of message. It was a message. It was a happening. And the, and the rushing is basically just another way of saying the quickening. And the quickening is another way of saying the curves of space or the quaves of space or another way of saying the spirit being in the spirit you are then not in the flesh now someone would say well when it says the flesh there I just think it means you know being sensual or being evil or being carnal. And you can apply it that way if you'd like. Because there's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold interpretations. And if that's where you want to stick your gum, you have the right to do that. Because the Bible says, let every person work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. So if you're afraid to go where no other man that you ever have met has gone before. If you're afraid to step out there in the middle of the thunder, if you're afraid to touch the whisperings of the Spirit that suddenly can explain as a flash so that they're Quirves make rings with such efficient speed and propulsion that nothing on earth can describe it accurately. If you're afraid to step out there, then you'll have to stick around, hang around with the 30-fold maybe make it up to the 60-fold. But if you want to get into the quickenings, where God quickens everything, not just a limited episodic list, where the rushings become a voice, just like the bells worn on the garments a golden bell, then a pomegranate. A golden bell, then a pomegranate. 
And yet they have a voice, a voice of the angels that speak the Tetragrammaton interpreted the name of God. If you want to get into that hundredfold where God quickeneth all things and you get into the rushings, then one day you're going to hear behind you a voice of rushing. And the reason you're going to hear it behind you is because it has been there all the time waiting and ready for you to, to, to learn and to know these things. And it's behind you. And yet it's not been accomplished. And yet it has not been learned. And yet that knowledge is not a part of you. But it's ready to be. And all of a sudden, when you begin to hear it, and let's read the rest of this. And I heard the noise of the wings. Now we're, we're in we're in Ezekiel 3.12. Let's read the first part. Then the Spirit took me up. And, I, and this, is, this is an elevation. This is going up the stairs. And I heard behind me a voice of great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. This is a place of blessedness. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, says, Blessed are the eyes that see. Blessed are the ears to hear. And he basically said that same thing in the Gospels. Verse 13, And I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels over against them, and a noise of great rushing. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. Ladies and gentlemen, when you get into this kind of sensation, when you get into this kind of actuation, there is a melting down of ignorance. There is a melting down of resistance to the hundredfold insight. There is a melting down of all those things that you thought were correct, that you believed were right, that you stood on, thinking you were standing on the shoulders of intellectual giants who had the final resolution. But in fact, many of their resolutions were in air. When you get into this thing of the rushing, when you get into this thing of the quickening, when you get into this aspect where you are not in the flesh as you are driving that ship through space, where your, your ship is no longer in the physical, where dematerialization begins to set in in the sense that you become spirit or you become curves racing through the universe. 
then it is a very close action, a very close experience to Acts 2.2. Praise God. Acts 2.2 2 talks about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, as it was coming from heaven as a rushing, mighty wind. Wow. I... I want you to hear this message today. We want to cover a lot of subjects. Turn to the book of Job in your Bible, if you have your Bible handy. And let's read something. There's a subject that I sort of want to hit on today, in between all these other things I have to say. Because... I've been contacted recently by a few people that have been exposed to the belief that's out there on the internet about that we humans are the uh, uh, Pleiadians, like having come from the Pleiades. And I want to show you that that is not the fact and that is not what the Bible teaches. And that some of these people who are on to rolling up their sleeve and making some discoveries just aren't getting all the facts right. They're sort of on to an interesting realm, but they're not getting the facts right. And they need to talk to me so they can get straightened out. Now in Job 38... And going over to verse 31, the scripture says, in, this is the King James Version, so it uses some of the old poetic words of the ancient early English. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades, or loose the bands of Orion? Now, there are people that have been interpreting this as belonging to astrology. Saying, he, you see here, here's a, a definite scripture, a definite scripture that reveals that the, that the stars do influence us. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I want to tell you something. I feel sorry for those people that are depending on astrology. Astrology is not backed by the Bible, and this scripture here doesn't back astrology either. But the Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that when Nebuchadnezzar the king was needing to find out some very unusual requests 
mainly what a dream was that he dreamed that he couldn't remember and what the dream had to say. Then he called his magicians and he called the various astrologers and they could not they could not answer what the dream was. But Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, which were Hebrew children in captivity, received the interpretation of the dream and what the dream was. And Daniel answers in the second chapter of Daniel, in the 27th verse, Daniel answered in the presence of the king, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. There's another scripture that says that the things that could be revealed by Daniel and the four and the three children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, were ten times, ten times more accurate and pronounced than any of the astrologers. It's sort of like with when. Moses and Aaron went before the Pharaoh of Egypt. And the, the Pharaoh of Egypt watched them turn their, their rods into snakes or serpents. He called his magicians and they were able to do the same thing. But the difference was that Aaron's Rod, serpent, went out and devoured all those serpents that the magicians had made out of their rods, making that rod of, of Aaron and Moses far, far more superior. It's not that the forces dark cannot evolve some outstanding actions and ideologies but when it comes down to the bottom line of what the ultimate resolution and the facts and the truths are they are not up to being in the superiority that the prophets of God and the people of God who have the knowledge of God are So when the Bible says in Job thirty-eight thirty-one, can you bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades? Well, first off, that sweet influences was really quite a far out but very poetic translation by the by the Hebrew 
interpreters. Because the word that is there, Mahatana, in the Hebrew, actually, instead of sweet influences, means cluster or clusters. And so, it is far more literal an interpretation that the MIV, the Peace Manifest Bible has. Can you resolve or bind the message of the Pleiades star clusters or star cluster? Can you resolve it? Can you can can what can you do about it? It's sort of like in that same verse where it says, Can you loosen the bands? So the idea there is to reveal what the bands really mean, reveal what the the cluster really holds, what it is really representing as it holds these seven stars of the Pleiades. And the sweet influences is sort of like using that poetic in, in uh, translation instead of you know, resolve the message, interpret the message, and bind. Bind then means to to take that message and put it to its factuality. Because we know that that God isn't saying these things are put up there and they're not meant that we could ever be able to unwind them or solve them. Because in Psalms 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmaments show his handiwork. Praise be the name of God. It's exciting. We're going to get into a lot of interesting things here today. Right now, we're going to take a break. God bless you.
Thank you, thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. Playing some of my favorite songs. Wow, and you do it with that, that style that I just love. And hello again out there, everybody. We're back into Job, and we're over here talking about the Pleiades. And you have to understand that when you, um, when you look at something in the Bible here, and when it mentions something like in this Job 38, 31, about the Pleiades, those are seven stars that are able to be seen with the naked eye from Earth. And they belong in the, the same constellation, so to speak, or star system, however you'd like to put it, as Taurus. And the, the Taurus... The Taurus group, or, or um, system of stars, is very, very important to understand because there's many Bible scriptures that relate in an extensive way if you begin to understand what the message is. Now, we're going to get into more and more detail on that. You know, very, very shortly. But uh, Taurus is called Taurus the Bull constellation. And the face of the bull, which has its own name, and as I say, we're going to get into that, has five outstanding stars. And so you've got the Pleiades and you have the face of the bull which are these five outstanding stars and consequently then you have some very, very important math that's not, that's not complicated. But you have both the Pleiades and the, the Hyades. Now the Hyades is this group of five stars that make up the face of the bowl of Taurus constellation. So we have seven and five, and seven and five gives you the number twelve. And we're going to see if we can get to it, and I'm sure we will, how that that ties into the revelation of Solomon when he made the sea with the 12 bulls or oxen that were underneath the sea holding it up because the number 12 is consequential. Consequential. And it's tying into Taurus the bull. And it's tying into the Pleiades and the Hyades, which is the face of the bull, and the seven stars, sometimes called the seven sisters. But I don't so much buy into the seven sisters thing as holding the degree of interest that all the rest of these things do. 
So we want to talk about that more, but we got to first let's 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 get finished with this this subject that we're talking about in the book of um, of Job because that is very 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 important. Blessed be the name of God. Okay, so now in Job thirty eight we've got verse thirty one. Can you? Can you resolve the message of the Pleiades? Yes, I can. Can you loose the bands of Orion? Yes, I can. I have the insight by God, by the Holy Spirit. I have the insight of the meanings of this. Verse 32, Canst thou bring forth Mazoreth in his season? Can you reveal the 12 signs of the zodiac and at the time that they are pronounced in their circuit or their their procession as relates to the earth yes i can Can you guide Arturus with his sons? Now you see, these seem like little mentionings. When it talks about Mazoroth or the, or the Zodiac and the 12 signs, you are talking major, major universe information. You are talking about thousands and thousands, millions of stars relational to this whole understanding. When you say Arturus, you are just talking about one star that is the brightest star of a of a system of stars called a constellation. This constellation is Buotis. And it's basically a legend of this man who is the coming one, of which we Christians understand that to mean the, the coming one always being Jesus Christ. This is no small privy to detail of the deepest concern. Knowest thou the ordinance of the heaven? Canst thou set dominion of it in the earth? The real important thing here is to understand the relationship of all these things that has just been said that have an involvement with the heavens but also have an involvement with the earth But there is a domination or dominion that needs to be understood in this connection of these heavenly things 
in their expanded and opened vision of understanding, as they are relational to the earth in the sense of verse 36, who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who has given understanding to the heart? That is what is needed to be revealed here. And of course, little by little, we want to do that. But now let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 38 of Job. And the Lord answered God out of a whirlwind. Whirlwind happens to be part of the revelation given to Ezekiel of these flying chariots of God. And the whirlwind is another way of talking about the rushing or the rushings. Verse 3, Gird up now thy loins like a man, and I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. There's another scripture in the Bible that says, Gird up thy mind. And when we think of the loins as being this substantial aspect of, of a man, it certainly doesn't distract from being aligned with the girding up of, of the mind. And if you will do that, then God will require it that you are able to answer these things. And here's some questions God wants you to be able to answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. If you can't declare it, that means you don't have the understanding. That means your mind, your loins are not girded. That means that you can't really answer the questions. Who hath laid the measure thereof? If you know, who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, and who laid the cornerstone thereof? When? When, W-H-E-N, determining word of causation. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you how important that this scripture is in here. And someone might say, well, that, that's just impossible for us to know. There's no way we can know. I think that's asking too much. I think God is asking too much. But the, here's what the Bible says in the same chapter, Job 38, verse 21. You know, if you look at the International, International Bible, Good News, and several other Bibles, in verse 21 they'll say, You know, because you were born then, and the number of your days is great. You are an ancient, ancient spirit. You are ancient. You existed way back then before the foundations of the earth. In fact, you existed before this universe 
was even made. And you know these things. In, inside, down deep, you know them. They just have got to be brought out of, of the kingdom of God that is within you into your cognizance. Now, it is so important to understand this thing about the Bible being involved and that the answers aren't about astrology. The answers aren't, you know, from these uh, Sumerian and Babylonian uh, tablets that are mostly into a gigantic part mythology that the Mr. Stitchin came up with in all his little books. People aren't like that are not going to be talking to me and trying to tell me this is what something says. When I know from, from a higher source what it really says and what it really means, I'm not going to be convinced by people like that. I'm not going to fall for their rhetoric. I just don't intend to be taken like that. I'm wanting you people to not be taken either. Because it's too serious. Absolutely too serious to be taken in by these people like right now there's quite a few people on the on the um internet that are saying you know we we are from the Pal the Pleiades the the Pleiades we're from there we're Palladians that is not true there is no bible absolutely at all to to support that and I know there are people that try to interpret Egyptian hieroglyphics and, and they pick up a few ideas and so forth. But most of the time, they haven't got the story right. And even though I know that Albert Pike of the Masons was an incredibly gifted, talented guy who had a 33 degree in Mason, I can't by any means buy everything that he said because everything that he said is not correct. But he, was a, he is a brilliant man. And President Washington of the USA, a long, a long time ago president who was involved in the Washington Monument being put up and it beaming up toward Cyrus, which was called the Blazing Star and being in connection with Orion concepts and the Pleiades. I, I think that he had a spiritual experience. But not everything that he said was right. I think that Madame Blavatsky of Theosophy and her, her later partner, Alice Bailey, I think they were pretty brilliant people. Even Joseph Smith was way ahead of his time, the Mormon. 
And I'm not here to put any religion down or put any person down. But I just want people to know I am not in to some of the things that these people are saying that are just absolutely not correct. And I know these people made all kinds of claims about being able to reveal the hidden records. And I know they've done some things on math and some th things on interpretation of symbology. But there are so many of them that have partial truths and a lot of information that is just not factually correct or scripturally correct or spiritually correct. And I'm not going to be not going to be swamped by all that kind of information. My thing that I'm into, although I'm aware of all this other kind of, of information and have a great amount of insight and education with it, my thing that I am into on these teachings that I'm giving to you is I'm reading from the King James Bible. That does not mean that some of the other translations that I, I do not consider them having any advantages. I think there are some translations, script, uh, verses that they do that are very good. But generally, the King James is a deep word, a poetic word. And because it has a lot of the old language, it maintains some of the, the, the meanings that in the new translations because of the change of the tense and the change of, of, of the, uh, by modernization of these words has created a loss. So I stick with the King James. Blessed be the name of God. Now, when we get into, into Psalms 68, That is such an important chapter. That is so important. Because it tells us that there was this hill of God. It tells us that there was this place called Sinai. And it says that there were chariots, which we know that is a very antique word. We know that Elijah was caught up with these chariots of fire and horses flaming of fire. And we know that horses and chariots, if they were burning, they would burn up. And that is just using a method of trying to describe something that was difficult for the people with the vocabulary of those days to describe. They had to use the language of their day. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them. He's among those angels. He's among those chariots. In fact, he was spotted by the 70 elders and, and Moses. In this paved work that was clear as crystal, it was a he could be seen through this the prisms 
of this clear crystallized glass which we call a throne the throne that is in the bell housing on top of the zith and it was the Lord that was in there and the elders and Moses saw it they saw it they were awake it was not a dream it was not a vision and the scripture here says and the Lord was among them the chariots that the, the ziths that came down on top of that mountain were 20,000 and there were angels in them thousands of angels in those 20,000 chariots thousands of angels and the Lord as well We cannot in any way imagine that Moses was ignorant of what today people call UFOs or flying saucers. But he was in an understanding far advanced of anything that the majority of people on earth today have the slightest notion of. He communicated with these angels. He saw them other of his persons that were close in the chain of command also saw them. So when the Bible tells us in the Old Testament and, and Old Testament and the New Testament that there were angels preaching the everlasting gospel in the sky. And someone says, this thing with these flying saucers has been going on for years and years and years. Of course, it's part of the everlasting gospel. It's part of the plan of the everlasting gospel. Of course, it's been going on for a long time. Just because this modern human race is just beginning to get into Fast, faster moving and flying machines. That doesn't in any declaration apply to these persons who are called angels of the seraphim, the cherubim order. It doesn't even begin to apply. Now, when someone tries to tell us that we came from the Pleiades, ladies and gentlemen, that is not what the Bible says. When you turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Revelations, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, this is not a minor showing. This is not a minor theatron. This is a great wonder. And I read to you in Acts that there's going to be signs and wonders in the heaven. This is a wonder. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. What is this scripture trying to tell us? 
What is the word? Well, you know, we, we, we just get involved in, in so much into all these different words of translation or all of the multiple meanings. Even if you get your dictionary out, you know, and you look at your dictionary and it gives you a word, there may be three or four or ten different translations of that same word. So just because one translation says one thing, all of these other definitions also are real meanings of that word according to how it's applied. And people have just got to understand that because when they don't understand it, they are missing out. They are totally missing out. So when you go and you look for the word for woman or for church, what you really find the meaning of that, of that word means is it means a group of people. It can mean woman, as, wo as woman metaphorically represents that group of people. <clears throat> Just like when we say the church, we're talking about the people, you know. Sure, the building is included only as it houses the people. But once it ceases from housing the people, then it has no really application to it being what the meaning of the, of the word church is. No, it just doesn't, it just doesn't apply. Wow. And, and so people just got to come to that understanding. The very word for church, for woman, is a word that is plural and that stands for plurality of people. And it can be a host it can be a large group of people. And we've got to get that down. We've got to get it down. We've got to get it down. Got to get it down. Because if you don't get it down, you're going to miss the truth. So when we talk about this, this woman, we're talking about this woman who was once clothed with the sun. And... She stood upon the foundation of the moon. And she had a, a crown of 12 stars. Oh, if I had the time today to go through this to, to show you all the meanings of what these symbolisms are. And she was, she being with child, cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered because what was the mo what was this group of angels, the morning stars, involved in? They were involved in the creation. And they had an unction to bring forth this creation. This was a, they were pregnant with this, with this unction. And they wanted to bring forth this creation of, of new uh, entities that could become, that could become souls, spirit souls. Not just body souls, but spirit souls. 
and ultimately then be able to go to the heaven of heavens. Well, something happened. There appeared another wonder in heaven. It's in the same space. In the same heaven and in the same wonderment. And it was a, a great red dragon. It's also great. And it had seven heads and ten horns. Seven crowns upon its head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. This dragon, called Lucifer, was in, involved with these angels. The Bible says that, that Lucifer became a covering angel, and he was a cherub, a cherubim. And the Bible says that then he got a new idea. And this new idea was that he didn't want to just have a temporary job. He really thought he was good enough that he should be over all of the different angel groups. That he was, he should be a, a, a supreme archangel. Not just a common archangel, a supreme archangel. And his tail, which the tail is the progenitive part of the dragon, his ideas was involved with one-third of the stars of heaven. And the one-third of the stars of heaven were called morning stars. So he was set over them while Yaviel and 144,000 angels were involved in creation. And his tail drew one-third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And there's only three groups of angels that's ever mentioned in the Bible. The cherubims, the seraphims, and the ophanim. The ophanim were two-winged angels, the cherubim were four-winged angels, and the seraphim were six-winged angels. And there's a meaning to what those wings, uh, wings uh, define. And this, this tail of the dragon drew one-third of the stars and cast them to the earth. Now see, that tells us the geology, the geographical location, because there is actually a constellation, one of the huge, huge and largest constellations in the heavens, called, called the dragon. And his tail actually turns around over that area, around the outside, the curves around that area, that is called Asia Minor. And that is the area that the Polaris star, that is the North Star for the Earth, is in. And it used to be a base well, it was a base for a long time for the Ophanim. The word Ophan being singular and Ophanim being plural and coming from the first and tenth chapters of Ezekiel, 
interpreting the word wheel. And so there's only these three groups mentioned in the Bible. There, there are no other angels. You can make them up if you want to. God have mercy on you. But there's these three groups. And in this 31st verse of the 38th chapter of, of Job, it des it's designating. Can you, can you give an answer about these? Can you tell us about Taurus the bull? Can you tell us that has the Pleiades? Can you tell us about Orion and the meaning of that? Can you tell us about Arturus and the meaning of that? And there are alignments that figure into this. And these alignments then tell us additional groups. Like this Asia Minor called the Little Dipper, which has seven stars in its little dipper. And so you got the base of the, cre of the creator Ophanim being in this, our, our, you know, this Urja Major, Urja, pardon me, Urja Minor, the little dipper, and you got this, the cherubims being in the, the Pleiades, which is basically the bull, Taurus, and they, their base was there. And then you've got the seraphims, their base being in Orion. And you're clearly being told here that the fallen angels who were cast to the earth and there ended up being a transformation happened in her birth. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And that happened to be the first Adam that, that the Bible says in the book of Luke, in the genealogy, that he was the Son of God. And so now we have this man-child and we have this woman. We have this woman that was in heaven and really clothed with the sun. All of a sudden she's down on the earth. She's part of the, obviously a part of those stars that were, you know, that were cast down to the earth. And this whole thing caused a great upheaval. So then verse 7, there began to be a war in heaven. So there's two kinds of groups that were cast down that were stars or that were angels. One group was this one-third of the stars of heaven, the Ophanim, and one-third was in the same chapter, 12th chapter of Revelation, where the Bible says that Lucifer and his angels were cast down to earth also. 
That's verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast with him. So you have the two groups, the third stars of, of, of heaven, the, the Ophanim, and you have the de these demons, the became demons, which were cherubim. But it's only the part of those cherubim angels that were co-owned with his... His, his office, his office was being, being very high position and what was called an archangel. And then when we go to Romans chapter 8, it just verifies it. It tells us in chapter 8, verse 20, For the creature, that's us, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but because of the reason of him who had hope. Because the creature itself shall also be delivered up from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Right now, we're in this groaning Right now, we're in this captivity. We're into these chains of the molecular and cellular parts of our body. We're chained in the matter. Which in the book of Peter is called hell. But the translation of that particular hell is called Tartaru, which means incarceration. And in verse 29 of chapter 8, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. So of those he foreknew, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So you can't just say, oh, well, this was just all predestination. It hadn't existed yet. No, no, no. This Bible makes it really, really clear. There's a conjunction here. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. So he predestinated as a result of those whom he foreknew. That's us. Here we are. Here we are. And God is speaking to us by His Spirit. And His Spirit is moving over all the land. Blessed be the name of God. And the quickenings and the rushings apply to those days when we'll be walking through walls. And in those days when we will be the masters of, of spacecraft and our mind will be the engine. And not only will we not be in the flesh when we are reaching those extremely accelerated speeds beyond the speed of light, neither will the spaceship be, be in the physical. Because, as it says in 1 Timothy 6.3, God can quicken all things and does. There, there is a, a means of, of what's going on. There is a means of what's going on with how these ziths fly the speed of light. And I know there's been people trying to get into this thing about quantum magnetic flux. 
sometimes called magnetic flux pinning, which means quantum locking. And it's about special use of anti-gravity. But I don't have a lot of confidence in this thing about the flux because the flux itself is never a constant. There's this thing called the Miser effect where the magnetic field inside a bulk example is zero. When a magnetic field is applied and the current flows <coughs> in the outer skin, <coughs> excuse me, the current flows in the outer skin, then the material leading to an induced magnetic field creates what is exactly opposed. Therefore, causing there to be an applied field which material is diametrically or diamagnetically the result. And this, of course, is dealing with things like the suspension of superconductivity. Then there is this Coan effect. C-O-A-N-D, where a non-zero magnetic flux always has the result of being quantized. And this is one of the main reasons I don't really believe that the magnetic flux is the answer to how spaceships even made by nations on Earth will ultimately be used because the results become quantized so that even the magnetic field is released to a size of volume that by process is quantized. Now this is a very interesting thing, this Coan effect. I mean, it's like if you took a candle and lit it and then you had, like say, a bottle in front of that candle and you blew on that bottle. There, this Coan effect tells us that this air will be held by the moisture onto the neck of that bottle. And as you keep blowing on it, it will have a collection. It will, it, it will, it will add to the collection. And even though your wind cannot directly hit the candle to put it out, as you blow up on the bottle, it, it will collect and as it moves around the bottleneck, it will eventually increase in the volume to where it will suddenly poof out or blow out the candle light. And you can magnify this on a really extensive scale and that you can see then where this does have an indirect effect to the quantization, quantization that happens collectively, even though you start off something with a flux that is zero uh, uh, bound, uh, you know, to have non-gravitational effect and all those kind of things, uh, it, it then quantizes. So I don't have confidence in that, and I didn't mean to get too 
complicated on you, and and I don't have time to go into the uh, things like the Magnus effect and and all these different uh, uh, foundry layers of uh, asymmetric uh, uh, flow of a field. Uh, that's just too much to get into now, but there's a lot of strategies and, and tactics that are interesting uh, angularly and aerodynamically uh, to to uh, talk about someday when we're not, uh, you know, um, in such a bind for time. I would like to someday talk about the Tesla turbine. The Tesla turbine is an incredible, ingenious device, and, and it demonstrates some things of such high efficiency in, in its potential of revs per second that, uh, uh, you know, the, the people have just recently, you might say, in a short period of time, begin to be able to figure, to figure it out. Well, I, I want to recommend to some of you people that if you'd like to read some of these things about the Axe, uh, about Tesla, and about some of these deeper um, aspects of uh, of the power of of running a um, a spacecraft uh, that you you get into the manifest blogs and start reading these blogs called the Acts of America, A C T S of America, and uh, you will find out uh, you know uh, uh, about a, uh, you'll see the message about dark energy. You'll, uh, you'll get some revelation about the power of the fifth force and its ability to create force fields, uh, its ability to uh, magnify supermagnetism, which can, which can uh, attract any kind of, 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 uh, of uh, substance or energy. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it will reveal, uh, you know, uh, polarity to the first domain, the fifth dimension. Uh, it will show you how that you know the, there can almost be a um, a monopole effect, you know, created. Uh, it's it's just it's just totally interesting, you know, uh, all these all these things. Okay, so we talked about uh, Taurus the bowl, uh, and we connected it to the the twelve bowls. Uh, that's B U L L S bowls of of um, the uh, you know of the uh, the uh, sea that Solomon made it was actually a bath uh, you know and uh, it was an incredulous thing uh, it, and it had it was quite involved with the pomegranates and and so these things all keep tying together you know that that have have the story of the Pleiades the Hi Hi Hyades. Uh, the oxen, the <laughs> Orion uh, representing the judge, uh, you know, and and uh, when you get into this this Erdanus, um, uh, uh, which is um, in the the starry aspects of Orion of the belt, and it's called the river of the judge. <coughs> uh, it's all tying back into what the manifest has been teaching about the the um, the seraphims being the judges. And the Ophanims are the watchers, uh, the good watchers, and 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 the guardians. And uh, and and we we see from this teaching that there is exact uh, revelation. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to you know come back to really begin to to reveal uh, 
this teaching because I just can't can't believe uh, how that we're running out. But if you get into that Acts of America, you also so see some of uh, the teachings I, on on the uh, the map that I created called Trit One and Trit Two, or or Major Trit and Minor Trit. That's T R I T, and and how that. The, the math on that of TRIT-1 is a total uh, revolutional uh, or resolutional, rather, uh, inflation or convolution from uh, the translation of mass density to a universal expanded state. TRIT-2 uh, Trit is about the total revol uh, resolutional involutional termination to the universe uh, by compression uh, of the universe uh, to the high density scroll state, so it, it 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 you can get in there and read this. It'll tell you about the law of privilege, that is uh, you know like like the law of being able to uh, to um, do the the impossible, and uh, and uh, it's 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 about you know a resonance that's far greater than than the, the strength of any uh, combination of of uh, you know of of gravity. So as we get into all of this, you know, uh, and we see that the pomegranates were made by law and told by the people you 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 got to wear, you know, uh, fringes on your fringes, uh, these certain things because they're about the commandments. Well, uh, we find out when we really get into searching, you know, what the commandments uh, of the word commandment actually means. Uh, it it has a whole lot more meanings than just the term commandment in the sense of the of the the ten laws or the six hundred and thirteen uh, statutes uh, of of um, of Moses. It it is uh, a whole lot more than that. So uh, as we see in the pomegranates, they represent the seed of life that is to be carried into space, and the bells relate in the order, uh, you know uh, that. They are revealed on the holy garment, uh, and and as it being a bell, then a pomegranate, a bell, then a pomegranate, B E L L, then pomegranate, P O M E G R A N A T E, and so that is so important because in the teachings, like in Exodus twenty eight thirty three, we have the revelation of the blue, the purple, and the scarlet. Blue representing uh, the the, the a space, and this is like uh, a ribbon, a ribban, and and I still haven't really been able to get into the teaching of that because I just keep running out of time. But as we begin to to, to see that that this blue, purple, and scarlet, that there's a sixty, uh, there's a thirty, sixty, hundred fold, and uh, that each of these, like blue, represents space, uh, purple represents uh, the 60-fold, uh, the, the royal aspect, and the scarlet thread represents, you know, the, the, the line of descent and ascent. And uh, we see how important that the pomegranate was. Uh, in Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, it was one of the seven divine foods. We see in 1 Kings 7.18 uh, and 20 how that, that on the pillars uh, there was these networks and and these networks were all about the lattice and 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 about the, the the plan of the net the net plan when it talks network jesus said the kingdom of god is like a net so if you want to know about the kingdom of god then you need to know about 
you know, everything that, that the Bible is telling us in these legends of, of symbolisms. The, the, you know, the, the molten sea uh, described in uh, 1 Kings 7.23. Um, the, the, many of these sacred a items were, were then broken down and taken to Babylon, uh, sadly, 2 Kings 25.17. Uh, but we, we we begin to to see that that uh, the 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 pomegranate and and this whole thing about the the uh, the tassels the the threads and the bands uh, in Canticles uh, six seven um, Solomon speaks about it being a decorative piece of the temples of the uh, of of the head by into the hair you know. And and then we find that example where Ezekiel uh, was lifted up by the the lock, uh, 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 this this tassel of hair of, from his head, which when you look to the translation of that, you find that that is talking about the fringe, and so this thing this word fringe is tied in to the very hair of our head. Years and years ago. Uh, God spoke to me and said, "Go now and cut off some hair from your head," and and He says, "And then, you know, uh, put these hairs into these little boxes," and He says, "You can pray about them because they represent, you know, people that that are to be brought into this this teaching, and so that hairs can can represent, uh, you know, a divine, heavenly aspect, and and." Uh, uh, and they're also connected, you know, like into Ezekiel being lifted up in the spirit and drawn into this space ma machine and being like it says in Ezekiel where there's a wheel inside of a wheel, so that the wheel being the person's spirit and the other wheel being the physical wheel uh, that the machine uh, of the of the Zith is as it is traveling uh, through space. So, so even in the reveal of of uh, the oxen uh, or, or or the bulls b u l l s that are tied into this whole revelation because this whole thing in the in that the Solomon did uh, he would use sometimes as many as four hundred pomegranates and and they were on his pillars uh, they were round about represented uh, with, with with all these holy items and um, uh, it tells us that that these oxen weren't just supports, you know, just pillars of support. But in Second Chronicles 4.3, it talks about the similitude of the oxen so that we understand that all from the beginning when that was made, there was a, a, a realism, a meaning. There, there was a, a thing that was represented so that with these pomegranates that represent the seed of life, that is to be carried out into space and that is to begin, as it says in, in Isaiah 51, uh, you know, new, new nations, new planets are, 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 are to be uh, um, engendered with life. And uh, all, all these things are just so incredibly awesome. Uh, they're just so, so wonderful. Uh, those seven fruits of the, of the promised land are described in Deuteronomy 8.8. 8. And uh, and their part, uh, the pomegranate was part of the seven fruits. And then uh, I told you about this network thing. We're going to get more into that on the lattice, uh, and we find that in First Kings seven eighteen, 
verse 20, verse 42. Uh, we know that in Canticles 8, it talks about this, this pomegranate that can be like a spiced uh, wine. Uh, we, we see that in this revelation of the fringes uh, that, that uh, you know, it, it says in Deuteronomy 22, 12, make fringes on the four quarters of thy vesture. So the, these four corners represented the four beasts. The four beasts represented the four kinds of humanity. And we, we verified that the other day when we showed you the scripture in Revelations where these uh, elders and the four beasts fell down before God and repented of their sins because God had redeemed them, showing that those were indeed, indeed people. Then we see in, in the description of, uh, of the Ziths uh, when we look at the Strong's Concordance uh, 6737, which comes from 6731, that this word for fringe means plate and wing and bosom. And, uh, and it can also represent, uh, uh, you know, from the 3731, uh, uh, it can represent a lock, a forelock of hair, uh, a fringe or a wing-like projection. So, all this thing of the fringe also means the him and and uh you know and it and it talks about um this this band of per, of, of blue that goes uh you know through it which represents space and as we begin to really look at these uh four corners that are represented uh we, we and and as we begin to see that when it says they, they these are to represent the commandments, when we look at uh, the Hebrew in Strong's Concordance, forty six eighty seven and sixty six eighty, we see that you know it's it's more than just a law. It can be ordinances or it can be pers uh, precepts, uh, or it can be an appointment or it can be a message or, or an enjoyment uh, of 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 you know a different. Uh, people are, are, are different messages. And uh, those are all part of the re revelation that uh, is given and, and that is so important. Uh, we, uh, we see that, that uh, uh, as I've shown, told you, shared with this before in Jeremiah 48, 9, the Hebrew word uh, uh, zith uh, is translated to also mean wings. And then wings represent the zith. So when we start talking about these wings, we're talking about flying, and we're talking about the angels who are flying in the skies preaching the everlasting gospel. It's all tied into that. And and, and these two pillars uh, that that Solomon made is all tied into that ultimate revelation uh, that, that the pomegranate uh, symbol represents the seeding of new worlds, new planets, and, and of the resurrection. And so so this whole uh, zizith uh, uh, revelation of the fringe is wrapped in a special uh, way uh, to be designed as a representative of the name of God. Uh, we shared that with you about the, the voice of the angels uh, that, that, uh, that actually they ring, they have a sound that, that, that gives the voice of God uh, and and the exclamation of the name of God, uh, the YHVH, and it is it is spoken through these bells. There is actually a star. There is actually a star uh, 
that's described in Hebrews 46.98 called Mialah, and it represents the highway to God. Uh, there is another star uh, that actually um, is described that it actually means bell. And and uh, we, we want to get more in, you know, to that. We want to talk about the tents of glory, how that these, these tents had a spiritual meaning tied into the pomegranate and the cherubims and, and how that these designs were, were all a part of that. We want to get into this thing about the rib band, you know, a, a cord of 12 threads of twine, uh, you know, and, and that have these 39 windings and, and uh, we want to get deeper into it than we, we have gone because this uh, tassel, uh, you know, of twisted wool has a message that is speaking loud and clear. We want to get <coughs> into the rings, <coughs> pardon me, we want to get into the rings and the rims and the edges uh, that are uh, where there are these, all these eyes. We want to talk about that more. We've talked about it a little bit. Um, we want to talk about the actual, <coughs> pardon me, way in which the the um, uh, the zith itself physically is created, because uh, there is, you know, there are some amazing things. And yeah, you know, we know that there's things uh, in, in the man, we know there are things in the Egyptian, you know, and, and there are some applications, but but there is so much more in the Bible. Uh, yeah, we know that like the, the great pyramid at Giza, you know, there are four shafts, shafts and these S-H-A-F-T-S, shafts, have alignments. And like um, if you go to, to number one, the queen chamber, <coughs> it aligns with the star Cyrus, which is the brightest star that shines in the in the night sky, which is also it shines in the morning. It's also called uh, Cyrus. <coughs> we want to get into um, to the rest of these things, like uh, uh, number two, uh, that is a um, a shaft that comes from the what's called the um, the king's, uh, you know. Uh, King room, and it it points at the Orion belt. Um, number three shaft uh, is in the the Queen's chamber, and it points at the at the uh, the uh, Urja Minor, which is this very place where I read to you the tale of the dragon. Uh, you know, swept around Urja Minor, <coughs> and then number four. It tells us from this great pyramid, which the Bible tells us that there would be built this 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 thing on the border of, of uh, Egypt that would have this wonder and revelation about it. And number four is about the uh, is about uh, Alpha Draconis, the dragon, and it's one of the um, the shafts. Uh, my, there is so much. There is so much. I would need hours and hours. To be able to share it all with you, but people, I gotta close. I've come to the to the end of my time. I can't go too far over because then we won't be able to get these um, teachings on some of the the uh, broadcast places because they have a limit of how long they can be. May God bless you and may God keep you. And for you, um, uh, 
people from Canada that listen into our our uh, teachings. Uh, tomorrow is Thanksgiving in Canada. God bless your Thanksgiving. And all the rest of you followers, God bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. We love you. God bless you. Bye. <laughs>